0: Previously on Transformers University, we discussed the importance of 1984, the cultural significance of the technology at the time, and the vibe in the air of the world, as well as the launch of the Transformers cartoon, as we get ready to discuss even more the history behind the Transformers. Hello and welcome to Episode 2 of Transformers University tfu.info podcast. I am your host, Anthony Bricalli, and last time we talked about 1984, and we talked about the significance of the time, and we talked a lot about the cartoon, but I didn't really touch on the toys too much, and I didn't touch on the Marvel comics at all, and both of those things would not have been as successful as they were if it wasn't for Marvel Comics and the folks there, and in particular, uh, one person who set the ball rolling, uh, and that would be former Marvel editor-in-chief. Jim Shooter. And in this episode of the show, I sit down with Jim Shooter to discuss the formation of the brand, the formation of the story behind Transformers, and a whole bunch of other things, including G.I. Joe and some other stuff at Marvel at the time. So uh, I sat down with him in October of 2016 at New York Comic Con, and I am just not even going to tease this up anymore. So sit back, relax, and here is um, a TFU.info exclusive interview with Jim Shooter. All right, so I am here with uh, former Marvel editor-in-chief Jim Shooter, uh, who spent a lifetime working in comics. uh, Started when you were 16? 13. 13. Oh my goodness. And you've run the game. You've done DC. You were editor-in-chief for Marvel. Created Valiant Comics and uh, Defiant.
1: Defiant, and Broadway <laughs> Comics, and I worked for Dark Horse, and I've done a lot of other little things, and a lot of uh, you know what they call commercial and industrial comics, Thanks for
0: advertising and promotion. And licensed properties as well. Well, yeah, I did a lot of licensed properties, especially when I was at Marvel. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so uh, Jim is responsible for a lot of things uh, we all grew up with and uh, have come to love over the years. Uh, In particular, uh, Jim is uh, pivotal in the creation of uh, the Transformers line uh, Mm -hmm. uh, as a comic book line and as a TV show. And uh, so uh, I know you've written about this on your website, so if you can just give us a little overview of... um, The uh, Mysterions story? Oh, Mysterions, yeah.
1: Uh, Before there were Transformers, uh, uh, there was this property called Mysterions, which was, uh, the the rights were, it's a Japanese technology, and it was cars and trucks that turned into robots. And uh, uh, it was acquired, the rights were acquired by Knickerbocker Toys, Knickerbocker toys in those days, they made mostly, uh, you know, plush toys, uh, little stuffed animals and stuff. And I guess they were, that wasn't going so well, and they were going to try to branch into boys' toys. Well, they went to DC Comics uh, because they saw what Marvel did with G.I. Joe. For some reason, they decided to try DC Comics first. And they they saw our success with G.I. Joe and they said, well, what we need is a comic book. So they they went to DC Comics, and DC uh, did a development and actually, I think, produced a comic book. I don't think it was ever printed. Uh, And then uh, I got a call from the Knickerbocker people and they said uh, they'd like to talk to me. And they came over and they told me that they'd gone to DC. They were very unhappy with what DC did. And they they showed it to me, they said, well, what do you think? I, oh, I mean, you know, obviously comics about toys are going to attract a younger audience. I mean, if you do it right, older readers will love them too. But, you know, you have to realize that there's going to be some some kids who buy this. This is all full of hells and dams and you know <laughs> half-naked women and it just was so wrong, you know. And then also it didn't make much sense to me. I just thought it was a bad job. So they said, well, can you do something with this? And I said, uh, can you create a, like, like you do with G.I. Joe, can you develop uh, stories around this? I said, yeah, sure, of course we can. So uh, uh, I started working on it. I did it myself. And, uh, uh, and then uh, we had a couple conversations with them. Uh, the... Uh, then there was supposed to be a meeting at uh, Knickerbocker, which was way out in the middle of Jersey someplace. And uh, so I went out there with the publisher, Mike Hobson, and, uh, and we arrived in time for our meeting. And, and it, the, the place was strange. I mean, everything seemed a little chaotic. Everybody looked like they were on edge, and we didn't know <laughs> what was going on. We ended up waiting uh, something like three hours for our meeting, sitting there in the lobby and watching people going by and sort of looking nervous and stuff. Well, finally we had this meeting, and uh, it, it, they were almost just going through the motions. You know, I mean, I could tell. Uh, the only good thing that came out of the meeting was apparently our studio, our animation studio, had also been asked to do development. I don't know how that happened. But, uh, uh, so they were on a conference call, Dennis Marks from the studio, and, uh, they told him that, no, they like mine much better. <laughs> so that was a little moral victory for me. But, but, uh, but anyway, so that so that we all, we go home and on the way home, Mike, Mike Hobson, a very business savvy guy, he says, I think they've been acquired by somebody. He said, because that's the kind of chaos you have on the day it's announced that someone is taking over the company. So, okay, sure enough, Hasbro bought them. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, so then a month later, uh, this guy named Bob Propus, who's an executive at Hasbro, comes into my office and, you know, an airport comes comes into my office and, and he takes this car out of his bag, puts the car on the on the, on my desk. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And he goes, watch this. Flip, 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 flip. It's a robot. Flip, 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 flip. It's a car again. And I said, well, that's really cool. Why does it do that? And he says, that's what we're here to find out. <laughs> Do you think you can do something with this?" I said, yeah, I think I can. I, I didn't do the same thing as with Mysterians, because I thought, well, no, that's different. This is, this is not the same technology. Transformers, completely different technology. Two parallel technologies, I guess, going on at the same time in Japan. Hasbro acquired the Transformers, Knickerbocker acquired Mysterians, and I think the reason Hasbro bought them was so that they wouldn't have any competition on the uh, you know, unfolding robot business.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what I think. I don't know. I can't prove it. So from there, then you write the treatment?
1: Well, the next thing that happened was uh, in those days when we would get these development deals, they paid pretty well. And and so I tried to pass them around to different guys so everybody would have a chance to, you know, you know, spend a weekend writing something and get paid a a, a pretty good amount of money. And uh, so it was kind of Denny O'Neill's turn, you know, and I, I... I fed Denny his lines a little bit. I told him what what I thought would be a good idea. Denny uh, I mean genius, Hall of Fame, great comic. But he really had kind of a disdain for toys. I mean it was a toy comic. It wasn't as good as like Batman. <laughs> you know. And I, you know, and so what he did wasn't it didn't work for me. So I his way. We kept a couple things that he... He, he named the spaceship Ante, I think, and he named Optimus Prime. And other than that, it was all me. I rewrote it entirely. And, uh... uh you know, and then uh, we, we produced the comics and the animation people produced the uh, animation. Marvel Productions people produced the animation.
0: And, uh, you know, it took off. It was great. Now, was the animation was based off of your, yes. your treatment? Yeah.
1: Yes, they didn't know it was my treatment, which is why the animation was based off of What happened was uh, we did GI Joe entirely just working with Hasbro. And then Hasbro had an ad agency called Griffin Bacall, uh, uh, Tom Griffin, Joe Bacall. And they were kind of worried that Marvel was becoming the, like a creative arm of Hasbro. And they wanted to get in between us and Hasbro. And so they, uh, and I think there was some. You know, old relationships there. You know, I think one of those guys went to college with Hassenfeld or something, you know. Anyway, uh, so uh, they created a, 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 a production company called Sunboat, an executive production company. They didn't do anything, they just supervised. Uh, and so uh, with Transformers, it ended up Sunboat kept getting in between us. And in fact, when the studio was given the, their marching orders to go through the animation, they were given. Treatment, say it's based on this, and uh, uh, it was my treatment. But Sunbo had taken my cover page off and put their cover page on. Not a word changed. Okay, so a year later, I was out at the studio and Talking about how we should coordinate more of the comics, transforms comics, and the and production animation, and they said, "Oh, we don't like your comics. They're stupid. We, you know, ours are. The animation's good. The comics are, are stupid." I said, "Well, you know, I I created this." And Lee Gunther, the production guy, starts yelling at me. You know, no, you didn't. You're a liar. You know, you you had nothing to do with this. Sunbo created this. I said, no, Sunbo put their cover sheet on it. I said, see this type? on no, my secretary's typewriter. These names of characters, some of them are named after my relatives. <laughs> you know, Sunbo didn't do this, right? Anyway, he would never believe me. But Which, uh, which characters
0: know, are named after your relatives? Uh, I'm never one. Oh. <laughs>
1: But uh, anyway, uh, uh, you know, it just, uh, it was like, you know, there was this kind of friction between us and the studio, which lasted until Margaret Lesch took over mm-hmm. at the studio, and then everything was swell. Uh, she made everybody, uh, you know, work together, and it was great. But anyway, so, so we, that's how the Transformers came to be. And uh, after I did the original treatment, um, I turned it over almost entirely to Bob Budiansky, who was one of the editors. And he just took the ball and ran with it. I mean, except for that original treatment, which which was the origin, which which they used in the movie and everything. Uh, I mean, he came up with all the names of the characters and you know, kind of all the developments after that. That's just spot, Budiansky. He had you know, a, a Sky Streak and Humblebee, and that's all him. And uh, uh, he worked. Uh, uh, well, we worked on the comics, but I mean, he also sort of, sort of kept working with Hasbro. And Hasbro, in spite of the fact that Sunbow had kind of elbowed their way in between us, they still came to see us. <laughs> you know, they, Especially by G.I. Joe. I mean, the guys up in the toys, uh, the boys' toys at Hasbro, uh, uh, they just put their, uh, you know, dug their heels in and they, they wanted to work with Larry. Mama. You know, uh, and Larry didn't, wrote they didn't all the. did not want any of this interference from anybody
0: else. <laughs> um, Larry wrote all the bios for the, to- the GI Joe toys, right? And then. Yeah, I Larry. Should... Uh, Larry, he looked just like Bob
1: did it. You know, with Transformers, except Larry did even more. It. Uh, you want to hear? it? I'm sorry. You want to hear the story? Yeah,
0: I'll... all right. <laughs> well, got the, the, story, way, I the way hear GI
1: Joe it. happened was, President of Marvel Jim Galton was at a charity event with. Her, uh, Hassenfeld or whatever. And um, uh, so they actually met in the men's. But anyway they got <laughs> talking and uh um, Galton told me this. Uh, and uh, you know, telling each other what they did uh, and Hassenfeld said, Oh we make toys and uh, and Galton says, Oh, we got all these we have all these comic books. So uh, so they uh, they're talking about it and Hassenfeld said that they wanted to reactivate the GI Joe trademark, but they weren't sure how to do it. They weren't sure exactly which way to go with it. And Galton said, Well, we have all these creative geniuses. You should let us do it, you know, do the development. And uh, and so, uh, so, anyway, there was a meeting called at their lawyer's office in uh, Lower Manhattan. It was me, uh, Jim Galton, the president of Marvel, a couple of uh, Hasbro execs. I don't think Hasenfeld was there. Uh, maybe somebody else, but I, I don't think it was even a Griffin call guy. I think it was just other ha- Hasbro people. And what they had was the name. They had GI Joe and the slogan, a real American hero. That's it. That's all. They, they, like, they gave us one sh- one slide slideshow of the logo. <laughs> and so, uh, and we started talking about it, and they said, uh, uh, that they, they weren't even sure they didn't know if they didn't want to make the big dolls maybe they wanted to make the smaller action figures and we kind of talked them into, well, I kind of talked them into those three and three quarter I think inch yep. action figures and then the, the guy says to me one of the guys says to me he, says, he, says, well, he said we want a whole bunch of toys he said what are we going to do, like G.I. Joe, G.I. Fred G.I. Steve, I said no G.I. Joe is the name of the unit call in G.I. Joe and, You know. I said can't be war it has to be anti-terrorist top secret. I said, make it the the best sailors and the best Marines and the best soldiers and the best airmen. I said, you know, a little secret organization. And uh, I said, yeah, we like that. Yeah, that's good. By the way, I invented Delta Force two two years before Reagan did. (laughs) So anyway, like they liked everything I said, and I was on a roll and I was like, they loved the slogan, call in GI Joe. and, And so anyway, I said, Okay? And they said, great, give us a development. Give us a, you know, some something on paper. So I went back to the office and went straight to Larry Homa and uh, told him what happened. And he said, well, he had been working on a revival of uh, 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 Nick Fury and and sort of uh, the new Howling Commandos, which are going to be an anti-terrorist group, have a secret headquarters under the chaplain's house and the whole thing. And he said, I could take... Those ideas and use them for this. Is that okay? And I said yes, sure. You know, so uh, so he, that's what that's what happened. And uh, uh, Larry wrote the original treatment. I rewrote it, but I didn't change anything. I just I just made it more dramatic. Larry did it like a Marvel plot, like just just the facts. Mm-hmm. And I I did it with football cliches, <laughs> and they would not be denied. And, you know <laughs> that stuff. You know, because that, that, the toy guys love that and uh so uh so anyway we pitched that hasbro loved it and uh, uh away we went larry did everything after that except that archie goodwin created the, the cobra command and the cobra commandos and all that cobra stuff that was archie and uh and then i did my little bit at the beginning And after that larry did everything and uh, it got to the point where i didn't even go to the meetings anymore it's just larry you know i didn't even bother uh but like i said the hasbro toy guys they just refused to have anybody get between them and larry <laughs>
0: that's fantastic because that's yep. how good larry is um so actually let's talk a little bit about that so how did the process work now it's funny you mentioned there's a difference between marvel comic and, and the Sunbow cartoon and actually for me growing up that was one of the more interesting things that this comic told a different story it was the same story in you know. And its grounding, and then it changed. Um, how did the process work then? Say, you said you went there to try to line things up a little. Um, so I guess you noticed that at, at one point. Of course we did. I mean, basically
1: what happened was when we started the production studio, Marvel Productions, to do the animation, uh, it was a joint venture with Toei, and uh, and so uh, they hired uh, David the Patty the Patty from the Paddy Frailing, okay. um, to run it. And he brought in his production manager, Lee Gunther, and neither of them had any, they, they hated comics. They, they, they thought the comics were stupid. Now, Hasbro told them, we like this for G.I. Joe. This is what we want. And so they were kind of stuck with us there. Uh, and they were stuck with us on Transformers, too, except they didn't know it, you know? Uh, but, but uh, so anyway, uh, they, uh, they, uh, they started, I'll tell you how much they didn't like to be associated with the comics. They, they wouldn't use the Marvel logo. They created their own logo, just an M, you know. Uh, they, they, uh, they made out like they had nothing to do with Marvel. They, they really tried to distance themselves from Marvel because the two guys in charge didn't, didn't like comics. So uh, uh, then uh, after a while, uh, because of various frictions and stuff like that, I guess, so maybe they, they were just getting older, uh, the, we hired uh, Margaret Lesh, who later became the head of Fox Children's tremendously brilliant woman and she right away changed the marvel logo made it made it a marvel logo she she had a a, a sculpted figure of spider-man climbing up the outside wall i mean she was she was into it you know and so that then things got a lot better after that and and, uh um, you know it's just that that was that was a major change but in the meantime before margaret lesh there was a rather strained relationship and they they Refused to try to coordinate with us or work with us at all, except that we they made commercials that advertised the comics. The reason they did that is because there are a lot of regulations about commercials for toys. There are no regulations for commercials huh. for comics. And so what they could do is make a thinly-veiled toy commercial disguised as a uh, as a comic book commercial. And so it was like ten times more exciting than anyone else's commercials. Yeah, And, uh, and you know, because in the other toy commercials, they have to show kids playing with the toys. And, and you know, it had to be... They, they couldn't do, like, 100% animation. Well,
0: we did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So
1: yeah, so, yeah, that was, like, part of the deal there. So we had to work with them on
0: so were you involved in the, uh, in any way in the production of the movie as well, the, the, the Only, the, only that I wrote the
1: original origin story, that's all. Uh, and, uh, no, I, no, they never called me, in fact, I don't think, I think most people never knew I had anything to do with it, you know, because of the Sunbow section and, and, and just because, you know, there were no credits on it, you know, I mean, I my, had my credit on the comic book, but, but, you know, nobody ever, I never had a credit on any of the stuff that was done in the studio. So, uh, a few years ago, I think when the first live action movie came out, uh, USA Today did an article, okay, so a big feature fire article fire with, fire with fire pictures in um uh, about uh, uh, transformers, right? Okay. And uh, they called me and they wanted to interview me. Okay.
0: Right. I said, How do you, like, like, you know about me? You know, apparently,
1: it's Erwin Hasenfeld, Jr., dad, that who worked at Hasbro during that habits. time, remembered oh, that God. I did it, right? And he told USA Today, you got to interview this guy. And so it's so the only place I ever got credit was in USA Today and right here.
0: Have <laughs> they credit you, and they haven't credited you yet the films, uh, uh, on films no, now? I, no, and they never it's uh, so but, Does that fall the work for hire at this point? No, yeah, Anything? Well, you know, if you, I was the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. If you're the employee of a company,
1: that's, so that's the very cool. definition oh, of work for hire. So everything I did, they, they uh, owned, and that's okay. I, 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 I made that deal, and it was a good deal. I had paid well and, and enjoyed it, and, you know, it was fine. I didn't mind at all that the company made money. Oh, my job to make the company money. Yeah. So, so I uh, I didn't care about that. I mean, it would been it would have been nice if they'd actually um, yeah. given me a credit on some of that stuff. But some
0: of it, yeah. um, okay. Speaking of of creators, then on the team. So, how did you go yeah. about? So you said part of it was yeah, going about it, making sure you were taking care, care of your guys, nice, taking yeah, care yeah, of your absolutely. editors. Um, I, it's funny because um, Ben, Ben, who was here before, he did an interview with Pop Budiansky about ten. Years ago, and he had, Bob had mentioned that he came, he came to him right before Thanksgiving weekend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. What had happened there, he, he believes you were his third or fourth choice at that point. No, not at all.
1: No, Bob was Bob was terrific. Bob, you know, one of the hardest working men in show business, and uh, really smart and really creative, I and mean, I'd always thought so. I mean, he, he was an assistant editor early on too, I think for Jim Salter, It was great. I mean, he just did a terrific job. Uh, no, I think uh, he was a good choice. He uh, uh, and because who else am I going to get who's going to work on Thanksgiving weekend? You know, and, and it would, you know, Bob some, it says, uh, oh, he had to write the, the first story overnight, and he did, but it was it, I wrote the treatment, he wrote the, the first issue, and of course, there's a lot of development that went on from where my treatment left off and where his work began. Like I said, after that, it was all him. He did everything, characters, um, all of the developments that were done after that, created
0: new characters. So it's terrific. He did a great job. And uh, so it's it's interesting, because he started out as the editor of the book. Right, I
1: started with, uh, yeah.
0: And um, Bill Matlow was the scripter for the first issue and I, I know, you know, we we all kind of know about what happened with Bill. I just want to know if you could tell me a little bit about Bill. Uh, well, Bill Bill was uh,
1: he was it was a great idea uh, He uh, he got trapped in a situation very frequently, especially before I got there and during the first couple of years. He he was the guy that would uh, write write a script overnight. And in a way, he kind of liked it because we we're stuck taking it, no matter what it, what he wrote, you know. And, and in those days, it was all page rate. You got paid the, the same for 20, 22 bad pages as you get for twenty-two good pages, and uh, and there was no royalties, there were no incentives or anything like that. So I mean, I you know, the fact is that he was dedicated enough to stay up all night and do it, and sometimes it wasn't all that great, frankly. But also, his redeeming feature and the things that he was better all, than almost anyone had, was he would create characters, freely. You know, he never had, never thought, never was precious about an idea, like he'd never have another idea, and that's how some guys are, they're so precious with, with their ideas. Not him, not Claremont either, and, and uh, it was my job to create characters, so uh, not me. Uh, but but uh, so he, he was really good at the new characters, and creating and developing new characters, and also he was willing to take on almost any challenge. I mean, you know, uh, when Archie was editor in chief, uh, he had the human fly forced upon him. Or, you know, who is he going to get? Bill would do it. You know, he Bill had no. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he, t- he he accept any challenge. You know, he'd say, "All right, I'll try to make that good." And, and you know, so so in in in, in some ways, uh, he was uh, heroic, and, and we needed a guy, and there he was.
0: And then. Um that's the the scripting or well, the plotting duties were first given to Ralph Macchio I
1: guess
0: and um I don't know if uh, well, it, Bob, Bob, Bob was heavily involved in that, that. okay yeah. and um, he, uh, and Frank Springer was the artist at the right. beginning and uh I don't know if you want to I think Frank's no longer with us uh, if you just tell me anything about him Frank Frank was a great
1: guy he had done a lot of uh, newspaper strip work uh, uh, he uh he really drew well he was a good storyteller uh, and he was smart and he was anything he worked on he he made creative contributions beyond just drawing the pictures he would come up with little suggestions and make notes in the margin or, or little bits of business that no one else would ever think of and, uh, and you know just just put clever stuff all the time uh, good artist, like a lot of guys uh, you know a lot of older guys, they get to a point where they they go out of fashion for a while. Kirby went out of fashion for a while, you know. Uh, there were, people don't remember that, but like mid-60s, 76, 77, you know, Kirby's wasn't popular. And then, then people rediscovered it, you know. Well, Frank was an older guy, so he was never, and I, it wasn't that he got unpopular, it was that it was that he, he wasn't going to be a superstar because you know he, he didn't have the sort of young kid style, and uh, but but solid, and that's what we needed. We needed brilliant, solid storytelling, beautifully drawn, um, just not uh, not you know not flashy, not
0: image colors. You know,
1: it's all right with me. I will
0: take that any. Day. Um, and then when Bob moved to being the full-time writer, um, Jim Owsley took over the book. Um, and I'm actually a fan of his as Christopher Priest. Yeah, no, he's a um, brilliant guy. Now, I read somewhere, that I believe I might have been on your site, you had to fire him at one point? Oh yeah, and he thanked me.
1: <laughs> Seriously. I mean, like, like uh, basically, when Jim started, I don't remember who his assistant was, but he had one of those assistants who was just a nut for detail and organization and stuff, and uh, and as long as he had the, the good assistant, you know, he was great, because he, he, he could be the creative brain, he could be the right side of the brain and the other guy be the left side of the brain and that things went wonderfully. And then uh, I think that assistant went on to become an editor and uh, I wish I could remember who it was. But uh, at any rate, uh, then uh, 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 Jim had a couple of assistants who, who were not as, as, say, organized, all right? And then things started to get late and get behind and, and stuff like that and, uh, and a couple of things uh, sort of... Fell between the cracks creatively, uh, you know. I, I was disappointed with them, and, and so finally, it just it, like I said, everything was late. It was, a, it was kind of a mess. And I called him in. I said, "Jim, you know, you always work here." I said, "Because he writes so well." I said, "But I got to fire you. know, you're not, you, you can't do this job." And he, he said, "Thank you." <laughs> and I go, Seriously, that's what he said. He said, "Thank you." <laughs> he said, "Yeah." He says, "I'm not." He said, "This isn't what I wanted." And I, I just, you know, it was one thing when he had, whoever it was, you know. I, but people like that—it might have been Bob when he asked for for know But people like that are, are, are rare, and wasn't um, uh, Bob. But but the thing is, uh, when he didn't, when he had an assistant that he had to train, and which is like typical. Usually, you have an assistant you have to train them, right? Uh, well, he he had one that was already ready-made, and then. then, then uh, after that, uh, it just uh, just wasn't working out, and uh, he knew it. And, and it just he, he didn't want to stress either, you know. I and mean, he wanted to go and do creative things, which he did brilliantly. So I worked out perfectly. <laughs>
0: wow, um, I'm gonna have to add He's here. I'm gonna ask him later no, ask about him. the sure, assistant. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, ask him who the assistant was, because he had one assistant who was like a real organizational nut, and then he had uh, a couple good people, smart people, you know, creative people, but but nobody who was gonna be the left half of his brain, you know, and, and it just, uh, that's a trouble with comics, if you're an editor, you're like, all at once, you're the director and the producer of the movie, and sometimes creative contributor to the movie, and, you know, if you don't have both of that director half of the brand and the producer half of the brand going, then you, you got a problem, you know, and uh, some guys are better at one than the other, you know, and uh, uh, you know, they're better at one to get by on the other, and you know, some guys can do it both, and, and, uh, and some guys just, you know, they, they can't handle the... You know, Archie Goodwin, Archie Goodwin, Hall of Fame, all-time great. If you ask, you know, a lot of these fans don't know, because he didn't do a lot of like, real high-profile, regular comics, but if you asked, uh, if you were, when he was live, if you would ask Mobius, you know who's the greatest writer? He's Woodley. You know, I mean, all of the, the 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 elite cartoonists in the world respected him. You know, so genius, Hall of Fame, absolutely, totally disinterested in the business world. You know, I'm, was he smart? Of course, he was smart. You know, he just couldn't get worked up to do the budget. You know, so so you know, it's, it's like actually when uh, when he worked at uh, before me. He was the editor-in-chief, actually, and I worked for him, and then later he came back uh, for me and worked for me doing Epic Illustrated, and the, the deal I made him is, I'll pave the road. You just do the creative. And it worked out really well. I did his budget, you know, <laughs> 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 but he did everything
0: else brilliantly, so that
1: worked. Is that just how you get different guys different ways? Yes.
0: Um do have a couple of quick questions. I was just wondering if you have any memories as far as either, either from the plot side or the production side, either one, of your time at Marvel working on Transformers. If there was anything after it was out that really stood out to you, a storyline or...? Um... Well, the one thing that,
1: that just really stood out to me is when uh, Bill Sienkiewicz did those excellent painted covers. I just thought that was great. And also... Uh, <laughs> All right, this this sounds funny, but it was one of those books that just didn't have to worry about too much because Bob had it really under control and, and, uh, you know, there were so many other hot fires to run to. It was great to have a book that I could just count on and knew it was going to be good and there was a lot of creativity going into it, a lot of talent working on it, so uh, it was a comfort to me. It was really, uh, you know, one thing I didn't have to worry about exploding, you know, and and, uh, uh, and I thought I thought they, they did some some really really good stories. I mean, to this day, people talk about some of those stories, and, and that's you know I'm, I'm talking back in 1985, 1986, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, 32 years later, we're still talking about it. it. Must have been pretty
0: good. Yeah, I mean, it's the reason we're sitting here. Um, also, the I don't know if you remember there was this, a miniseries that that Marvel did called Transformers Universe. Yes. And it was just the, the character profiles, yes. similar to the Marvel Universe entries. Right. Yeah. Um, just curious, to um, were those, did those exist? Because those were the, basically the toy copy, I guess? Or longer, long-form versions of what was on the toy. Were they? Uh,
1: Bob wrote most of
0: it. Uh my, my what was the impetus? Like, do you remember what well, when someone we came to you with the idea? the Handbook
1: of the Moral Universe, and it was it was an institution. I mean, we would do every year, we'd do an updated version, uh, or we'd do special things. Uh, uh, you know, it just people loved it, and it was it was selling really well, and, and it was it was really a labor of love for Mark Rome. You know, because he loved that sort of stuff. He loved explaining all the detail behind something, and, and he got a couple of good people like Elliot Brown to do all the technical drawings, and Elliot was a science genius, and so he could make it sound credible that there was a you know, a, a blackbird plane that the X were flying in and stuff like that um, and uh, you know, I mean, like, it, it just it went, that was going so well I'm not sure that we actually had a popular demand I don't think people were getting, getting a storm of letters asking for it, but it just seemed logical, so many transformers Everyone with this little distinct features and little things it could do, and uh, you know, uh, so why not?
0: Yeah. Anyway, that's. The... Yeah, and that's, and I think that's part of the beauty of, of Transformers and GI Joe in a way. They're they're basically superhero teams when you get down to it. You know, you both, when you get down to bare bones. Sure.
1: I, I think uh, not not uh, traditional, but you know, a lot of the same. Drama applies. You know, it's a lot of the same, same uh, DNA in there. So
0: it's—it's you know, it's really
1: all a matter of execution. When upstairs people who never opened a comic book, most of them, you know, uh, it wasn't like they were making educated decisions here. But but uh, as soon as something worked, they wanted to do lots more of that. Uh, when Star Wars was a the hit, they wanted to do every movie. It's, oh, that's the trick. You do movies. I'm like, no, you do good ones. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I had pushing them away with both hands, and I succeeded in not doing a lot of bad movies. I still ended up, you know, being forced to do Dragon Slayer and a few other, you know, things that, you know, were just uninspiring. And uh, you know, because I, there was pressure from upstairs. I was, do more movies. It makes money. You know? Well, no. The same with toys. You know, G. I. Joe was such a Transformers, such a. Well, then every toy company, you know, they're, they're bringing every toy on earth to me. You know, doing in humanoids and sectars. You know, and, and, uh, you know, like again, again, I pushed some away. I succeeded in deflecting some of them, but uh, some of them I wish we, I wish we, we hadn't done. But. but uh, You know, was kind of forced into it. We did the best we could. We we always gave it a try. Uh, I I ended up writing some of those treatments. Oh, P.S. When I wrote the treatments, I didn't pay myself, I was just part of the job. So, uh, but when I uh, I ended up writing some treatments for toys, because no one else wanted to, you know, it's like nobody was really interested. I said, well, I'll have to do it myself then, you know. And I did the best I could, you know, But,
0: but some of them, you know, were bad ideas. You know, on that on that note, um, do you feel? And I, I mean, it certainly was for me. Do you feel that the having the toy comic on the shelf next to the Captain America, the Spider Man, and such drew people and drew young folks into the, into comics as, a, as an art form as crap? Absolutely.
1: I mean, the, the the big four, and as far as I'm concerned, Marvel, uh, uh, GI Joe. Um, because a lot of kids would walk right past a comic book rack because they didn't know who Iron Man was or care. But they saw G.I. Joe there, they knew who G.I. Joe was and they wanted to get that book. And if they liked it, who knows? Maybe then they'd try Iron Man or Superman or who cares as long as we're getting them into comics, you know? And uh, so G.I. Joe brought, I can't tell you how many people give me issue one of G.I. Joe and say, this is what got me into comics, right? The, The other one is Transformers same thing you know they'd see transformers oh gotta have it you know and then maybe later they'd go back and try daredevil you know or whatever so uh um the other two are secret wars and star wars you know that really were starter books a lot of people saw those heroes on the cover of secret war or secret wars number one gotta have it so they bought that and that got them into the other characters uh star wars was there anyone on earth who didn't know what star wars was it wasn't like we licensed Star Wars because we were short on ideas. We licensed Star Wars because there wasn't going to be no one in the world who didn't know about it. And, and that's what you, when you license, by the way, that's what you license. You don't license the property. We can make our own properties. You license the exposure. Okay. And so with those high exposure uh, toys, yeah, they brought a lot of people into comics that sold really well. And I think they got a lot of people started. They got a lot of people started. We were doing you a favor, DC Comics. We got a lot of people reading Superman because they bought GI Joe. And uh, so, so anyway, that's uh, that's definitely the case then. Not so much now. I think. I think you know. I don't know what happened to change the market, but I think there's, you know, there's all these movies, but the books don't sell. You know, like Avengers. When the Hulk was on TV, it became one of our top-selling books. Uh, there's Avengers movies, but the Avengers are still not. You know, it's not. In my day, we averaged three hundred thousand copies an issue, average across the line. Now you're lucky if you see in any given month if you, if you see one one book that sells a hundred thousand. Know? so so the things have changed. I don't know what the all all of what the difference is. I think some of it is the comics should be better. Not, they're not as entertaining as the movies, but, uh, for sure.
0: Well, do you still do you still read? Do you keep current on? Um, I, I, I don't.
1: You know, uh, what what I, what happens with me is that friends of mine will say, "Oh, you got to read this. Or, you got to read that." Or, you know, don't read this. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, uh, so you know, so I'll uh, I'll you know check out things here and there. I, I don't regularly read anything, but. Uh, uh, you know, I do. And I read some independent
0: stuff to see what else, what else is going on. Do you check in on your own creations? Do you check in on Transformers? Do you check in on Valiant? No, do you, do you... Eh,
1: not particularly. You know, it's like they are in other people's games now. So, you know, uh, it would probably only upset me. <laughs> <laughs> Does
0: that go for the movies as well?
1: Oh, I've gone to the movies. I, I like the movies. The movies are pretty good. I mean, especially the Marvel movies uh, have been pretty good. i not say none of the DC movies are good. I like the two Batman uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, Dark Knight. yeah, like those. Uh, but the Marvel the Guardians of the Galaxy is cracked me up. I love it, yeah. and it was uh, most of them have been have been really pretty good. Um, but uh, uh, and I think I think that's wonderful. I mean, basically, when I was editor in chief of Marvel Comics, were like in steep decline. The president of the company, when he hired me, said, "He said your job is to preside over the end of Marvel Comics. We're going, we're going to stop publishing comics." He said, he said, "Try not to lose too much money in the way until I get us started in animation and children's books, which he both he got Marvel into both animation and children's books." And I told him, "I said you're wrong." I said, "I said the, 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 the comics can be bigger <laughs> than Disney." Ironically, I said that, and. Uh, uh, he said, "He said, what? He said, you know, well, you know, I don't think so. but He's just trying to, you know, keep the ship afloat until we
0: you know, I can get us into other
1: businesses." And I said, "Well, I want to start doing incentives and, you know, paying better." He said, He's you can do anything you want as long as it either self-liquidates or doesn't cost too much money." You know, he said, "He said, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go along with it." And I uh, said, "I said, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sell a royalty plan." He said. He said, you mean we don't pay royalties? Because he was brand new, too. He had just come from the real world publishing, book publishing, and he just assumed that everything paid royalties. I said, no, we don't. And so eventually it took us a while to put the plan together, but we did, and, and, you know,
0: that was good. Uh, So just one last thing. Uh, I just want to know, what are you working on these days?
1: Um, I I go to shows. (laughs) (laughs) People say, what do you do for a living? I appear. I appear and uh i do uh, some commercial work here and there some uh um i wrote a series of christmas cards i i've done comics for uh, uh 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 we created a character for uh, junior achievement i think we, we uh done comics for uh, we did a comic book for the kabbalah center uh, uh, <laughs> go figure anybody you know it's like they want to promote something or they want to uh, a, a custom comic or a premium promotion thing. Um, we do that. Back in the old days, I did uh, Cheeseosaurus Rex for Kraft General Foods, Kenny Kid for uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, uh, you know, I mean, whatever thing. But those don't, those come up periodically. So mostly, I I, I go to shows and uh, collect Social Security.
0: <laughs> wow, fantastic! All right, so I think that just about wraps it right, up. Well, John, thanks for Jim. having me. Uh, Thank it's you so great. much for coming. And that right there was the legendary Jim Shooter in an exclusive TFU.info interview. I am your host, Anthony Bricali, and you've been listening to Transformers University, a TFU.info podcast. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you like the show. I hope you like the site. And if you like the show, you like the site, you love the show, you love the site, then, my friend, please swing on over to TFU.info slash help and check out all the ways you can help us out. be as simple as sending pictures we'll have uh, various links to various things you can do to help us uh, uh, maintain the site grow the site and maintain and grow this show Uh, and if you want to help real quick you want to help right now go to www.tfu.info slash amazon and that will take you to amazon and then anything you buy off of amazon they send us a couple pennies here and there but it adds up and it adds up to help the site and help the show so i'm going to wrap it up here And we'll see you next time on Transformers Universe. See ya.